Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Hey, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with the Building to Scale podcast again, where I get the opportunity, as always, just to speak with different guests, different business leaders here that just sharing their stories, some of the the challenges and successes, both as they've grown and scaled their business over the years. So, Today's guest with me here is Axel Mirhofer with Ideal Wealth Growth, and we're going to get to that one kind of here in a second here. Axel's kind of in a a unique position, really one that I've I've been in before with doing consulting or now coaching here is how do you take and scale or how do you figure out how to scale that that consulting practice really beyond yourself when the whole, whole practice is yourself? So Axel, first off, welcome to the show and thank you for taking a few minutes out of your afternoon here for us. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So tell us a little bit more about what you got going on these days or about yourself, kind of your journey and getting here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, um, people will quickly hear uh, I have somewhat of an accent that comes originally from Germany. So I came 25 years ago with the German Air Force to the United States as part of an exchange program. And um did that and then you know several unexpected additional jobs uh, were given to me in, in the Air Force to work together with my US Air Force uh, colleagues. So it ended up what was originally supposed to be like maybe two, two and a half years ended up being six years. And when you are in actually Air Force flying, there comes a point where your body is just not able to sustain the, the stress anymore. So I had to make a decision or the Air Force basically said, okay, well, you can what we call fly a desk, basically go and do an office job, or you can uh, retire, which is, you know, for people in aviation, it's one of the path. And for me, even though nowadays, and I'm sure you and I are the same that way, you know, we're working in front of a computer every day, talking to people and stuff. But that wasn't really for me what, what I initially thought was attractive. So I said, no, I want to retire from the flying and I want to see what else is out there. And so I did that. And having been in the US for six years, my daughter had gone to school uh, in the US almost exclusively. We decided, well, maybe we can make it work and and find work here and live here and get a green card and and all those kind of things. And I got recruited by a company in Santa Barbara pretty quickly, a software company, and became an executive there for a few years and realized I would really like to try my own thing. And that's how I got into the consulting, coaching, mentoring business, founded my company in 2005 and have been working in it ever since. And just like you said, um, it, I've tried several times and I actually make that distinction. I think it would be fair to call it a practice, kind of a little bit in, in analogy to a medical practice, because I've tried you know, to say, hey, I have a couple of good friends and they're just as good in coaching, mentoring, they know their stuff and so forth. You know, Maybe we can scale and expand that way. And maybe I didn't describe it well or whatever the reason was, it never really worked very well. But one of the other things to have basically the bridge to Idea Wealth Grower was that I very soon after starting the business started wondering, okay, what do I do 
to ever be able to stop this practice if there is no reasonable expectation that I can sell it easily. Now, I don't know if that would still be possible or not or could ever be possible. But to me, it was, well, if I'm not absolutely sure, I'm not making a gadget, I'm not developing a software or anything like that, how do I ever get to some kind of perceived endpoint maybe 10, 15 years down the road? And so for me, that was basically the defin definition of what do I do for retirement and looked around and came to the conclusion where well, one thing that a lot of successful people do is invest in real estate. And so I started doing that. And I think, I mean, Jeff, if you and I had been friends for a while already, you know, we would get together, have a glass of wine or beer or whiskey or something. And you'd say, hey, man, what's going on? You know, what have you been up to? And I would tell you, okay, well, like, I'm finally in the last stages of, of closing on my first investment property. And a year later, you ask me the same thing and you say, oh, I got three now. And that's kind of how it happened that people said, wow, I hear you talk about this. Why do you do it? What is it and stuff? And over time, people kept encouraging me to say, you should put this out there. You should help other people. You should talk about it on like what we're doing right now, podcast and so forth. And so... I said, okay, well, that makes sense. And I'm willing to do this, but I still have my practice. So if I do this additional thing that ended up being called Idea Wealth Grower, I've got a trademark, all that good stuff, website, what have you, I need a team to help me with it. I can't basically run two businesses all by myself. And so that's how Idea Wealth Grower, from a one sense, you know, people are interested on in what can I do with my money to build a stable passive income flow. So I can at some point, especially as a small business owner, where you're not sure like me, can you really sell it and make a ton of money all at once? Well, then I wanted for me to have the, you know, kind of the reassurance, if you want to call it that, that there would be a point in time where the passive income is large enough to say either I scale back or, you know, I basically close the main shop or something like that. That's how how this all came together, basically, in a nutshell. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And like you said, I'm, I'm kind of in the, the same path right there and been in with other businesses. I did actually software consulting for a number of years back in the day. But yeah, it's, it's that long-term looking at it because when you're in the consulting world, even in the coaching world, kind of a thing there, most of the value really is, is built in your head right there. And like you said, you're, you're at least we're looking far enough down the road to say, hey, at some point I want to <laughs> retire and not be doing this all day, every day kind of a thing there. But it's it's that's where I run into a lot of business owners that are so focused on the the today, the here and now. We just got to run the business. We got to get the next client. We got to build the next project. Whatever. It's like okay, I, I was actually just talking with one last week that said he actually he was still early on, wasn't necessarily looking to exit, but had an investor approach him to say, "Hey, I want to buy your business," which is great for the ego. But in digging into it, the investor said, okay, where's all your playbooks? Where's all your systems? Well, what, what are we going to buy here? And the guy was like, well, I guess I can write it all down for you. You want me some notes? It's like, you can just see zeros falling off the, off the purchase price there because the whole value of it and your same kind of situation, all of it's you, all of it's in your head kind of a thing. So when you step out of business, there's no value to turn around and sell. So I, I obviously like the the forward looking on it there, but still like the, the other concept of the, the wealth grower, because if you can grow something on the side, build up that, that passive income stream, build up something else that you do have true value in it at that point, that's, that's to me one of the keys. Cause it's, if you're not careful with any business right there, you're being short-sighted just saying, Hey, I got to focus on the fires in front of me right now. Not the, not the long-term stuff. 
Yeah, there's also, I totally agree with you, Jeff. And one thing that I learned very early on um, that was perplexing to me coming from a military background, and I thought I had pretty much seen or understood how life fundamentally works. And um, when I got into business, for me, it was clear, okay, I want to make as much revenue as possible and pay as little taxes as possible, right? And then on the flip side, I had this, like, like you said, long-term perspective to say, I need to create an asset portfolio that ultimately, at least from my perspective, allows me to create enough passive income, but also have the assets long-term so that I can basically comfortably live and don't have to worry about money or whether there's social security available for me. And what was really one of the perplexing things was when I started um, setting everything up initially on my consulting business side, and then wanted to actually make my first investments as uh, residential real estate investments. <laughs> and you could probably going to chuckle or your audience will chuckle about it. The first thing that happened is I'm applying. Basically, I find a property ready to go. Everything is fine. Great credit score, what have you. Go to the lender, say, OK, I want a mortgage for this investment property. And like 10 days later, they call me and say, well, we looked at it. And we don't think you qualify." And I'm like, what? You know, how is that even possible? And they basically said, well, we looked at your tax return. You basically make no money. And, and that ultimately, I asked a couple of my friends, at you know, being very green at that point, and, and they said, yeah, that's called the dance. I said, what do you mean mm -hmm. the dance? And they said, well, it's the dance between how much are you willing to pay yourself and pay FICA and Social Security and all of that so you can show actually an, a reasonable income without going crazy knowing that you have enough expenses that you could actually claim not to pay these taxes. But if you don't pay any taxes, you will look, and, and the running joke in my circles was, I would be better off and nothing wrong with managing a McDonald's, right? But <laughs> it was basically, I would be better off if I were a manager of a McDonald's than owning my own relatively successful business because the dance would look much easier if you just have a W2, right? And, and so um, that that was an interesting experience. And I kept that in mind when we started Idea Wealth Grower because I knew and I know, and I think it is in, in our day and age, especially with the pandemic now, important to ask ourselves, how will conducting and scaling business in the future look like? And so I really thought about that for a little bit and, and decided I need to maintain agility and flexibility to the maximum extent but how do I find good people? Because in my consulting business for some little site and admin jobs, I looked at like Elance and Upwork and stuff like that. And again, maybe I was just unlucky, but I didn't really have great experiences with that, right? So um, now I'm actually happy to say I have a great team that keeps growing slowly and none of them is really W2. And, and we're just really kind of like what you always want in a business, like people that work professionally do their thing, but it feels more like a family than just employees. And they're not really employees anyway. So, you know, it's a different model. And and I'm very glad that I went on that journey and, and it keeps impressing me. Yeah, it's it's definitely because we've I've talked to a number of different business owners actually on the podcast and everything about pluses and minus kind of thing of outsourcing and doing contract work like that. And there's there is definitely a challenge to it. And especially once you're looking at like the e-lance and the e-work or upwork and stuff like that, 
everything's focused around the the rate. And when you're just winning on rate, it's the same thing I look at in business. Okay, if, if that's your only selling point is you're cheaper than your, your next competitor over, then you're going to lose or else it's a race to the bottom kind of a thing there. But with the, the contract side, if they're only in it for pick your dollar amount, 20, 25, 30, whatever the dollar amount is kind of a thing, and then your competitor or somebody else comes and offers them $5 more an hour, there's no, there's no bond there right there. They're going to sit there and jump. So it's, that's your, your comment there about building it as more of a family, building more of a relationship there with them rather than just being a, a wall right there that you toss work back and forth and toss invoices and payments kind of a thing back and forth, I think is, is really the key there from what I've seen before. So I'm curious kind of how you, what's your, how you went about building that or how you went about changing that? Cause I know we talked about a couple other platforms, but the reality is it's still a, a, transactional based relationship unless you put more into it than that yeah absolutely i mean one thing that i actually first did was to look is there anybody out there other than a traditional um employee you know like recruiting company or or talent search company or something like that um and i don't mean indeed or any of those online platforms i mean like you know there are on the executive level uh, recruiting companies but more like on on the support staff kind of level. And I didn't really find one or any that I would say were in the traditional sense recruiting companies, but I read uh, an article and then I heard actually uh, the founder of a business on a podcast and he was talking about transitioning from what he had originally founded to his new company. And I thought that those both the things that he was mentioning on the podcast and I then researched it and ultimately became a customer were really relevant to me. The one was he is the, uh, was the founder of a company that wanted to do these kind of uh, gig type jobs in a different way where the company that offers them like the e-lenses or the upworks of the world, their company, and, and I don't need to make a, a secret out of it, they're called free up, right? What they basically do or freeing you up from is the recruiting and searching of the people, but not just by saying, hey, come on and plaster something like you said, and the lowest rate wins, but yeah. by literally putting in the effort of vetting the people. And because of that effort of vetting the people and matching them to the project. So I, as the business owner or you, Jeff, you go on and you write, what are you looking for? What are the skills? What do these people need to do? And they go out and look in the, on their bench. Who do we have? Who meets those skills? How have they interviewed? What is the, the range? What are the times? All these kind of circumstances. A little bit what a uh, more, more senior recruiting company would do as well. And then they match you up. And typically for all my folks that I got through this approach, um, we interview two or three people typically after that pre, pre, um, preliminary vetting and, and, and assignment and matching uh, step. And there was only once where we had to go to a second round of another three um, to find them. And the other thing is that right from the get-go, the question is, are we looking for like a gig or a project? or are we looking for a longer term engagement? Yeah. And that also eliminates a lot of people who are very, very, and this seems to be the thing of most of the other platforms, very, very 
gig oriented, like something for a few weeks, or I put a website together, or I do a little SEO for you or stuff like that. Versus for me, all the folks that are on my team, they I recruited them, they were immediately, yep, we want to do this longer term, and none of them have left, right? And 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 it's not just because of the relationships, but because it was open. This is more or less like a job, it's just not full time. No, it, it makes sense. And even from a, a hiring perspective, whether it's uh, like you're saying, contract right there versus employees, to me, that's kind of always been one of the fallacies or one of the issues with the hiring process is you go look on Indeed or something like that. And it's just this laundry list of skills. Like, okay, you got to go deeper than just skills. You got to figure out how can we build that cultural fit? How can we build that additional bond? How can we set up more of the relationship at that point? Something deeper than just, hey, can you can you do some SEO work and other thing like that? If it's if it's a gig like that, if it's a project, that's one thing because, like you said, it's probably short term and done. But if you're, especially when you're looking longer term relationship like that, it's got to be more than whatever it is. Can you can you post to WordPress? Can you can you update my website? Can you do whatever the case may be right there? And it's there's got to be something more to it to have those kind of relationships there in place. Yeah, absolutely. And they also need to, over time, maybe not right from the first day, but they need to kind of learn a little bit what is your business about, right? Like an idea wealth grower, one of the criteria I always put in every one of those um, postings is that they should have at least some experience um, with real estate or in investing or finance, or basically be willing to learn. And the other component I mentioned, you know, the, the guy Nathan Hirsch, who had actually founded Free Up. Um, made it so successful that that somebody came and said, I want to buy it. And then, and I I don't know if I can call him a friend, but we know each other by now quite a bit. And I asked him, you know, like what happened then afterwards? And he said, well, after we did the sale, I asked myself, what was this one piece that I didn't really get to add to free up that the business owners who actually hire somebody would probably still really be in need of and that became his his new business and he calls that outsource school which is a really fitting and almost very literal name because the thing is now you get somebody let's say who's really good with wordpress like you just said right but they don't necessarily know you they don't necessarily know uh, exactly what you're looking for but you don't know them either Right. And in a, if you take on a normal job in a mid-sized to larger scale company, they have this whole onboarding process yeah. right? where you learn the systems, you learn the software, you learn how to submit an invoice or your time and all this kind of stuff. And so outsource school for me, I did this uh, for my personal as, uh, executive assistant for both companies. She's doing both now. Um, to actually go through their training as a business owner, how do I actually interview and make sure that the person knows the things that I need and they have little training programs in outsource school where I can say to Nadine, who is my uh, assistant for both businesses, take that training on how I want you to manage the calendar or take this training on how to, and I don't need to create the training. I don't need to spend time. It's all video-based training already there. So those two pieces really allowed me to scale and build a team of now six people that uh, basically not full-time, but each having a particular role in the business, uh, serving our clients for mentoring or for, for um, putting our social media out and so forth. And it was a relatively comfortable, I would say, not easy, easy would be the wrong word, but a comfortable way to bringing this team together and onboarding it. And for me, I focus on the relationship building 
in all the other pieces, the invoicing, the recruiting, the training and stuff is basically done by these two entities. And that was really helpful. And I could imagine that people listening might say, yeah, I, I would like to add people, but maybe not full time, not doing W2, not doing a, having a bookkeeper just for my employees and all that stuff. And I can say it's possible. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's, I guess, two, even two things coming out of that that you say, but yeah, especially in the the earlier days, the smaller days kind of a thing there, honestly, you can't necessarily even afford it. And I would, I would almost say, hey, don't take on the overhead of W-2 and full-time employees and payroll and stuff like that if you don't absolutely have to. So it's it's a case you point out the bookkeeper or whatever, early stage business that you don't need a 40-hour-a-week bookkeeper kind of a thing. You, you right. need somebody a few hours a week or something like that. And having a, a resource like this that you can leverage feel like this is something it's not new by any means but it's definitely getting more visibility and more impact on businesses these days from anything from the the bookkeeper or the the seo all the way up to even doing executive levels of, of hey a fractional cfo or a fractional coo kind of a thing there yeah, exactly come bring, yeah. come bring us that that level of expertise but still on a partial part-time basis kind of a thing there yeah exactly and and I totally support that. And, and I think you said it perfectly, you know, it, it, it's a little bit like this, this book from uh, Jim Collins about good to great, right? Like you start out with your little uh, dune buggy, right? And then it becomes a vehicle with four seats and then it becomes a van and then it gets maybe a 15 seater. And ideally, if you really do it right, you end up with a Greyhound bus. And initially you are the driver and you have all the hats, right? That's how I interpret it. And as the vehicle grows, you have more seats but if the seat for the person who was responsible for finances was okay when it was maybe a um, normal five-seater car is not necessarily the same person suitable for the Greyhound bus, right? And so having some flexibility in that sense and growing it as you need it. But I think the other important component is value of your own time, right? For, for the smaller, medium-sized business owners, I always challenge people when I do mentoring from the consulting side to say, what would you actually, if somebody were to literally just pay you what you think is fair value to your time, what would that number be? Most people that I encounter say at least a hundred bucks. Well, and then you look at, okay, so how much time did you spend on finding this person? How much time did you spend on training this person? How much time did you spend on reading emails? How much time did you spend on reviewing these invoices to make sure that you get paid or why you didn't get paid and it's late? And on and on and on. All these hours at 100 bucks an hour suddenly become really expensive, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and so... And it's also, if you look at it from the perspective, which I oftentimes do and say, okay, what could I do instead of this, right? And if I'm out there um, helping a life science company, for example, to do a project, or I'm helping an, an investor or somebody who is successful in small or medium-sized business to say, how can I get this passive income stream? Well, that's much more efficient than checking emails and checking appointments on the calendar or anything like that when I can outsource that. Yeah. No, it makes sense. So I'm curious how, in going from your own to six players or whatever right now, how you kind of decided which hats do I take off? That like you said, early, early on you're wearing them all. How do you get to that point of saying, okay, I'm gonna get rid of this one versus that one? Yeah, that, it started out with me basically um, spending too much time in my view to make sure that my calendar is efficiently populated and executed properly. 
And I know that, I mean, we're all getting all these emails as soon as we sign up for some sort of an event. Um, we get like a reminder and another reminder and it's in three hours and in one hours and in 30 minutes and click this link and stuff. That's all good, but that's not my experience in regular business. This is only when either somebody wants to sell you something or there's some sort of a marketing deal engine behind it, right? So what was important to me is I checked how much time do I spend in populating my, my calendar efficiently, making using Calendly and these kind of things. But then more importantly, that, that for those appointments, and I have a business like most other business owners that listen to your podcast, I'm sure I have too. They have multiple clients like I do. Clients have different opportunities, different priorities and stuff like that. And what I got frustrated on, I have this German gene of always be there a few minutes before the time. Yeah. Some people didn't get that, right? So you, you're making time and you pick that one hour slot or that 30 minute slot that you had available and then they don't show up or they don't show up for 15 minutes and stuff. And so that was one of the important things for me from an efficiency point of view. How can I get better time management? Not because I didn't do it well, but it was a waste of my time to spend hours and hours every week. And so Nadine is doing an amazing job doing that, right? And it took a while. It's not just you bring somebody on and next day they can run your calendar. But now, I mean, everything that comes in, she makes sure that they get the reminders. And even across business, researches this stuff, makes sure that the invoicing happens and so forth and gets reminders out. And all that, you know, and that gives me the time to actually be just be there and do my thing. Right. Yeah. And, and that is an amazing benefit. And the same thing with social media. Could I or was I able to post? Yeah, sure. But it's not really proper value for my time. You know? Well, and I, th I think that's almost really the key right there. It kind of goes back to your other comment about, OK, what's what's your time worth? And then saying, OK, am I getting paid that to? post on social media or to, to do it's stuff that has to be done but at the same time you can probably especially early days and especially doing a an outsource like this you can find somebody that is more effective cost effective kind of a thing there to take care of some of that stuff pretty easily yeah and it's also i mean since since your, your show is scaling right like for me it was important how can i add more clients both in idea rights grower and in my consulting business without having to work 100 hours a week yeah. Right? And the only way to make that work was to say some of the things where my time is not best spent need to be done by, by other people. And everybody listening might say, well, that's the normal model for employment. But I think the difference now is that we really want to look for talent, not so much are they close to me? Can they come to the office? Can I put them in a cubicle? Can I pay them W-2? But where is the talent, even if it's only a partial you know, from a full-time to part-time kind of uh, approach, where's the talent? And to me, if the pandemic has shown us one thing, the talent is only dependent on a high-speed internet connection, not on the location. Yeah, you know? no, I think that'll be yet another big shift kind of a thing just going forward because it was, there was definitely, it almost seemed to be based upon industry. There was some industries that were a lot more open to that, but yeah, a lot of companies, a lot of business owners I was still dealing with were, yeah, we need everybody here in the office kind of a thing there. It's like, you're, in a lot of ways, artificially limiting yourself for now, because you, if you can open it up, even say, hey, we're going to open it up across the U.S., you don't necessarily have to go outside the U.S., but now you've got a much bigger talent pool right there that you can draw off of if you can do the remote work. And it kind of, like you said, bright side of the pandemic, silver lining, whatever, kind of forced a lot of people's hands to say, okay, now we have to try this. And sure enough, it's actually, in many cases, working pretty well. So yeah, I think it'll be a, 
a definite shift on the mindset for both the business and the, the employer at that point, because even as an employer, I can be a lot more pickier. I've got a lot more op- options open at that point that I can work for a company on the other side of the country. Yeah, exactly right. And that's exactly my point, right? Scaling is not just in size of people that are somehow associated with your business, but it's also geographic, right? Like now I have uh, for Idea Red Grow, we now have clients from Canada. We have now just recently started the first clients uh, from Europe. And the thing, the possibility or opportunity to make that happen also has to do with do you have staff that actually live somewhere in that time zone and can be available to them at reasonable normal business hours and so that wasn't necessarily an original intention of scaling and building my team but the team is spread around the globe based on their talent that we can i i think i once looked at it we could cover like 21 or 24 hours a day or something like that in reasonable you know and so we do for example mentoring for somebody a really executive level person in india we're bringing in people from from europe now we have canadian clients and stuff and canada is maybe not that big a deal but fundamentally to be able to spread and scale geographically that is actually pretty exciting because it also for me at least gives this additional cultural exposure it's not just only procedure, what can you do and what are the different rules for different countries, but it's also the people are different. And I think that's super exciting as a, as a business owner to be able to deal and, and, and help them and, and make them understand how we tick and what we do, but also kind of have some empathy and some connection to what they need and how they operate. No, yeah, it, it makes sense. And I hadn't really even thought about the, the customer support basically being around the world. But yeah, you're, you're right to that. That it's is once your business starts growing, that yeah, it's easier to grow clients outside of the immediate geographic area now, but you can also support them a lot better with outsourced resources there as well. So yeah, it's there's there's just so much possibility to it with like I said, with, with so much talent kind of thing really around the world that with with sources and resources like this, it's, it's so much easier to to build and really honestly build in a cost-effective manner. It's, it's, I, I've had people talk to me before and I don't recall if this was one of our conversations kind of a thing there, but it, it, you look at it and say, well, you're only paying them $10 an hour or $5 an hour kind of something over and pick wherever it is, India or Central America or something like that. But the reality is their cost of living, their, their environment is so much lower anyways, you're actually still giving them a boost, probably pushing them above what anybody else in their area would get doing an in-person job kind of a thing there. So that, that kind of negative stigma to it is like, this is actually a, a benefit and a boon to them in many ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think anybody who is thinking about scaling, growing their business, uh, either because they have to or because they want to, there is a certain, so at least for me, it's important to have a certain social and moral principle-based component to it. So I don't know if, if you and I talked about it, but I oftentimes have used the example of, of uh, a guy who does the video editing for me, right? And he sits in the Philippines. And I had initially, when I first got in touch with him, no real idea what would be a fair payment. But I was surprised how low his request on hourly rate was. And instead of just saying, hey, you know, are you so green that you don't know what you're worth or stuff like that? I did a little research and found out people in the Philippines, even in Manila, which is the biggest multi-million metropolitan area, make anywhere between 20 and $25 a day. 
yeah. with their in normal employment, right? So when he basically, when we talked and he asked me, how much do you think you need for me doing these videos? I said, well, I guess maybe two, three hours a day. I can't imagine it would take more because we're not doing videos every day, right? We maybe do one or two a week. He said, oh yeah, yeah, I can easily do that. And then he sent me his quote and I realized for those three hours he would make more than working a full day, full time in downtown Manila, let alone having to drive through the crazy traffic and all of that. So for him to have two or three clients like me, who he does two videos a week, he makes three times the wage that a normal person working in an office would make. Yeah. But to me, if I were to just say that purely nominal number, is that good? Is that bad? Is that minimum wage above minimum, below minimum? No, that's not the right perspective because you need to put it in context. Yeah. Um, and, and in context, he makes, you know, if, if he were to work, and I don't know if he does or not, but if he were to work eight or nine hours a day, he makes three to four times as much as anybody else in the area. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, if somebody came to you and say, okay, normal wage in, in the Dallas area is, I don't know, $45 an hour, I want 120 <laughs> you would first pause, right? Uh, and that's basically what I realized. It's not, I'm not a bad guy by paying him three times regular wage, right? Which yeah. some people would say, well, you're paying him less than minimum wage in the US. Yeah, but <laughs> it doesn't take minimum wage in, in the Philippines to do video editing, you know? Now, it makes a lot of sense. And it, like you said, it does open up avenues for smaller businesses to be able to grow and bring in resources that they simply can't here. So now all good stuff. And I, I'd love to keep, I'll always end up having to hold myself back on the end of these conversations. Just like I keep going and going, but um, always like kind of coming back at the end, just to ask if you were to look back five years, 10 years, whatever the kind of time frame is in your mindset, is there anything that you'd say, Hey, if I had just tried this earlier, if I had just done this earlier, things might've, been smoother or gotten been further along right now? Any kind of lessons learned, anything like that come to mind? Um, well, one thing that I can say, and, and this will not surprise anybody. I mean, when you start out in business, and like I said, I started my consulting work in 2005. So it's been like almost 16 years now. Yes, you're green in the first few years. But one thing that I had not enough on my radar, which I wish in hindsight that I would have started earlier is how do you actually focus a good amount, not all, but a good amount of time on building real assets, right? And for me, the decision ultimately was to build these assets uh, by investing in real estate. But even if you were to say, no, real estate is not my thing for whatever reason, right? And we could have a long debate about yes or no, why or why not or whatever. But to look at assets, whether it's, you know, the assets that, are owned by your business or the assets that you own privately, whether they're real estate or stocks or, or commodities or something like that. And the main reason I say this is there were many times, and I would be surprised if not most of the people listening to the podcast would have, can connect and say, I had that too at some point. And that is where business doesn't go as you expected it. A contract doesn't come in the payments that you expected or planned for don't come in. Your costs suddenly jump up, but your revenues don't increase and stuff like that. And the thing that the asset building actually does is it gives you a certain level of calmness and security. And I'm very glad to say now I have this for the last few years, 
but I so much wish I had that after that initial kind of getting into the growth period, maybe between like after two or three years in the business and on from there. And it doesn't have to be hundreds of thousands of dollars a year or stuff in asset building. But I wish I would have started earlier just to allow myself to be more calm as you're basically guiding the ship through all the storms and all the things that happen and not constantly saying, well, if the revenue doesn't happen, then I'm toast, right? Yeah. To me, that is really a matter of how many assets to support you. And I'm not talking about just savings or reserves. I, I really mean assets that kind of grow in value alongside. That's why I ended up in real estate. Right? Because had I bought, let's say, 12 years ago at the height of the financial crisis, I had started to buy real estate, the stuff would be three, four, five times as valuable as I would have paid for it. It would probably outstrip by far how much, much profit my small business makes. Or yeah. business, right? But it's not a matter of would I convert it. It's just the assurance to say, well, I can navigate through a storm like the pandemic we had last year without constantly freaking out what's going to happen. So for me, if somebody came to me and say, hey, I'm getting into business and, and what would, would you do different than like you just said, I would say, don't just exclusively focus on building the business. Take a little bit, maybe 10% of your attention and look at how can you early on, as early as possible, start building assets. And it makes sense because, like you said, business is never a, a nice, smooth growth curve. It's it's always it's tosses and turns kind of a thing there for sure. But yeah, having that having that reserve right there, and I, and I look at it a lot of ways in business or even outside of business, kind of a thing of, of having having the reserve in place to where you're not left with making rash decisions that hey, things are all of a sudden tanking, and we don't have a reserve, therefore we got to make make some critical decision kind of thing on the fly. If, if you've got the reserves to be able to weather those storms, because it's I would say you've been there in consulting. I've been there for a long time as well, kind of a thing. You'll have banner years and then you'll have years that are down, kind of thing. And if you've got the reserves built in, it's a lot easier to weather at that point. But it's it's really building the longer term value, like you're talking to. That okay, it's not just here for short term. It's whether it's the exit of the business or whether it's something side beyond that. Yeah, it's always having that further down look there to me is critical rather than focusing on just today. Yeah, exactly. And I mean the important thing for me in that context is actually when you think about what should these assets be I don't want to necessarily say just because I use real estate everybody has to use real estate but it should be something that you cannot very quickly convert right a lot of people say oh yeah yeah I have a reserve or savings account that's literally money yeah but the temptation when something goes wrong to just tap into that money is high and it's easy sure if I on the other hand if you say okay I, I have 20,000, I take 20,000 and buy a $100,000 house. It is an effort and it really takes some thought if you say, am I so far that I need to sell that what I bought for 100,000, maybe now it's $130,000. It's not just, okay, I just write a check or I just go make a deduction from my reserve account. Right? Yeah. And so that's, that's the part why I'm saying, you know, I don't wanna necessarily say there's only one asset type that you can do, but when you latch onto the idea, I should have assets. Please don't just take assets that, with a with a stroke of a phone call or a pen uh, signature, you convert it immediately back into in, into cash flow, right? Because if that's so easy, human nature, in my experience, leads for us to actually tap into it whenever it looks like we need it. 
and and we ultimately wonder why we work so hard and there isn't really that much other than the business itself there so when the asset that you put as your dedicated reserve is harder to convert that it also makes you think twice and it needs to be really excuse my french deep shit before you actually get to to work yeah, it, yeah it, it makes sense you're gonna look at any of that as the, as the longer term game that yeah if you're I, well, I I don't real friends with a, a real uh, not real estate but a, a stock investor kind of thing. He's like, yeah, if you're if you're constantly in and out of the market, in and out, you're not going to make any money. It's it's all about the longer term game, the longer term thing, and investing in whether it's bonds or something like that, longer term. But yeah, it's the same kind of idea, the same model, and it's got to be out there for the longer term investment. Yeah. And if you granted they they flip houses and stuff like that, but I, I suspect still. In your game, looking at it, the longer term investment is, is probably still the more profitable one rather than buy the house, fix it up, turn around, flip it kind of a thing. You make a little quick profit there, but you probably don't get the, the longer term value on that. No, so. absolutely. I mean, if that's your business and you do that every day, then I think it's a great business. If, if you do this from an investment perspective, I'm always saying, you know, there are experts who flip 10 houses a month. And if you're really dedicating all your weekends and all your free time outside of your business into that you can maybe do two a year so for me it never made sense to compete with the experts especially since when they're done i can buy a property put a tenant in and make good cash flow that way and have no pain no no unexpected findings of some crap in the walls or whatever so my message is not so much, you know, do you flip it or do you buy it or do you whatever you do with it? I'm more saying from a business owner perspective who wants to scale their business and, and would apply a lesson learned like you asked the question is look at some not so easy to convert assets as your reserve from as early as you can afford it. That makes sense. So, all right. Well, if people want to come learn more about you or about Ideal Wealth Builder, where's the, where's the best place for them to come these days? Yeah, exactly. Idealwealthgrower.com. If you hang out there for 25 seconds, it pops up the opportunity to schedule a call. But you can also just email me directly at axel at idealwealthgrower.com. So either way or across all the different social media platforms. If you put in Idealwealthgrower, you find us everywhere. Great. Yeah, we'll have the links right here below. So I appreciate the time. Appreciate the insight. It's been a fun conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.